This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. What's up, everybody? It is uh, October 27th. It's Thursday. Ryan Jesperson, John Hicks here with you. We've got a, if you follow us on, on Twitter, our official account at Real Talk RJ, you already know this. We tweeted it a few minutes ago. It's it's an Alberta politics spectacular today on the show. And uh, we're looking forward to it because, you know, every once in a while we'll bounce around in our coverage. We're a proud prairie based podcast. Uh, as you know, we're an Alberta based show and, and the majority of our audience. I mean, you know, you guys join us from all over the place. We were looking at the website uh, the other day. I love checking out this stuff and we look at the world map and we see that we've got like we had some downloads from like the uae we had some downloads from singapore downloads from australia and we go all oh, right on very cool every once in a while we'll get an email uh ray alisa tegan is, is a real talker that's been on the show before she just sent us another message john uh i think she's in damascus where she sent the message but she's living in syria right now and so we know like, people from all over the, the place uh but but we've got people um you know obviously a lot of you that join us uh, in particular from western Canada. So we want to cover stories of national significance. Yesterday, we spent some time talking about the election in Ontario. Obviously, Stephen Punwasi joining us this week was very cool. A great perspective on on property taxes versus income taxes. Are you still thinking about that? Are you still weighing the pros and cons of his tax shuffle? Oh, yeah. I dreamt about it. Yeah. <laughs> we had a whole bunch of people writing about it. Uh, you know, it's the type of thing that people go, yeah, this is really fun to talk about and debate, but you know it's never actually going to happen because no politician that's looking to hold or achieve elected office is ever going to put their neck on the line mm-hmm. and, and, and campaign on cranking up property taxes. But Great conversations there, but we feel like there's so much going on in Alberta right now that, that it demands and it deserves an, an entire show. And so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, Professor Lisa Young joining us from the University of Calgary in just a couple of minutes. And then I'm also really looking forward to checking in with a former colleague of mine, uh, Tom Vernon, and I uh, worked a lot of years together. He uh, a, a long time and accomplished and very skilled storyteller, a television journalist. He was with Global News for a lot of years and uh, just announced his, and I say this with a smirk, his retirement from Global News. He's still a young fella with a great career ahead of him, but he's moving into the private sector, so to speak. He's, he's now going to be a consultant. He's going he's gonna to help people and organizations and groups, and we'll let Tom tell us about this, but he's going to help people understand how to interact with an impact Government. I wonder if he would call himself a lobbyist. We'll find out if Tom Vernon, he's not specifically, I don't think, doing lobbying work, but here's what we'll do. We'll do the, the, the journalist's approach to this. We'll ask him if he's going to have to register as a lobbyist, and we'll see what he says. In all seriousness, I love talking to Tom, his understanding of, of how government works and how the people perceive what government's doing uh, is going to be well worth your time. Tom Vernon's coming up in the second half of this show. So if you have something to say, if you happen to be joining us live, on the on the Mixler streaming audio app, or if you're or checking this out live, watching us on YouTube, have your say in the live chat. We'll obviously look for your takes on on some of the things that our two guests, these political experts, will be bringing to the table today. And of course, you can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. That is exactly what Coralie did. 
And I loved this one. And I thought that this would work as a mention for our great friends at Kubi Energy today, because, you know, the first show of every week, Kubi presents positive reflections, right? And we had a special edition of it this week. If you missed it, go back to Monday's show and check it out from New Murnham School. Uh, Mr. Tomofichuk, they call him Mr. T, and his principal there joined us for a live interview, a special edition of Positive Reflections on the heels of his win of a Prime Minister's Award for teaching excellence in STEM, in, in science and tech, engineering and math, right? And so Cora Lee caught that show and she sent us an email. She says, I just listened uh, to your interview with Mr. T and, and Ms. Morrison, the principal at New Murnham School, and I knew that I had to write into Real Talk. Cora Lee says, you have no idea how extraordinary this school is. Talking about New Murnham School, you can Google it if you like. She says, we switched our son there three years ago because our hometown school just couldn't provide what he needed and he was coming home daily in tears you know he was he felt like he was stupid he would say and he would tell us he wanted to quit school and we had heard about this new Murnham school we decided to give it a try even though it meant two hours of driving every single day uh, it says today my son is in grade nine Coralie says he is a completely different person He's happy. He's excited to go to school. His favorite teacher by far is Mr. T. He works with the kids' strengths and interests to make them want to be there. You got an idea? You think it's bonkers? Mr. T will give it a try. Your quad, your dirt bike broken? Bring it in. Fix it for shop credits. This school is out-of-the-box thinking. Their willingness to work with kids and parents to make a school a place their kids want to be is amazing and Coralie says I will forever be grateful for all they've done for my son there just aren't enough words how's that for an email that is like a passionate parent writing in to extol the virtues of their school these are teachers uh, and administrators that are going above and beyond the call of duty and we were thrilled to hear that so Coralie thanks for taking the time it's never lost on us we've got this community right that joins us on the show and we want to hear your stories when we talk about great teachers impactful teachers is there one through the course of your schooling, like K through all the way up that that jumps out at you immediately? You're like, that was the one. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, not one. No, not really. What do you want? What, like I a feel favorite sad teacher? For you. I, I like no, there wasn't a teacher that you're like that one took an interest in my no, life. No, but that I had one. I had a bunch that I liked, but no one like I didn't have a favorite teacher. I didn't have a like a like a number one. Did you? Got it. Uh, yeah, well, I had a, I had a few, but I think of teachers that that when I look back now, teachers that gave me the benefit of the, I ha always had enthusiasm. I was never a jerk in class, mm. but I, but I was a class clown for we sure, all, yeah. and I was and I was maybe a little bit difficult to manage for sure. Uh, I've I've told the audience before that my parents did me this amazing serve this amazing gift of keeping all my report cards, mm -hmm. and they like presented them to me when I was an adult, and it's it's actually super cool to go back and read what like Donna McCurdy was saying about me in kindergarten, Miss McCurdy, my amazing kindergarten mm -hmm. teacher, you know, or or like you know Miss Shifley coming up, or Mister Robertson. I think of Bruce Robertson my grade eight social studies teacher. Maybe he'll hear this. I don't know. Uh, but, but like he was, he was a musician. He was a dad. He was, he was like an involved uh, teacher. Like he, 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 gave a rip about his his students and his kids yeah um he would he would kind of knew he knew how to crack the whip with me in a way that it would resonate yeah like it's sort of like the parenting style that was his teaching style of like i'm not angry with you i'm disappointed in you and you would way rather sure. you would way rather anger someone than disappoint them yeah yeah so i think of have Mr. i disappointed you by not having a favorite teacher <laughs> no like i, I actually you want to know who my favorite like 
like piece of the faculty was 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 actually my guidance counselor, Mrs. Robin. Well, there you go. Yeah, so because she kind of put me on the right, but which which is her job. But she would always be like, "Well, you know, same thing." I was a little loud, little outlandish in class. She's like, "Take more drama," (laughs) and I was like, "Well, I like art, but I also like computers." So she was like pushing me towards graphic design and stuff like that, which I eventually went and took some courses when I got out of high school. So I, I think that would be. My number one was the guidance counselor, uh, Mrs. Robin. But, oh, I'm putting the camera on you to see what... It's okay. I got my (laughs) headphone cable tangled up in my rolling chair, and it means that I'm pinned to the ground. I can't move right now. So it's okay. I'll figure it out. With the audience that's watching on YouTube will know, as soon as you put Dr. Young full screen, I'm doing damage control trying to fix my headphone jack. But that's a a problem that I sustain. You know what, though, man? Guidance counselors, think of that. And and, and I I can't wait to ask Lisa when she joins us here. Well, not a lot of people bring them up when you you ask a question. But I bet a lot of people... Yeah, but, but, but imagine... You know, for for a lot of kids that are feeling either hopeless or unmotivated or discouraged or stressed, like whatever, you can experience a million different feelings at that age, uh, especially when probably a lot of adults are going like, oh, you're in grade grade 11, grade 12. What do you want to do? What's your plan? What are you going to do? You know, a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. But for a guidance counselor to see into that kid and understand what what makes them tick and what's a good move for them. Mm -hmm. I bet you the messaging is so different now than it was 10 or 15 or 30 or 40 years ago. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. we get we get messages from people all the time in the trades. You think of some of the most successful entrepreneurs. You think of, of, of some of the, the people that have, have, have driven the economy. Um, you think of some of the stereotypes that have happened with the sort of like the blue collar versus the white collar. If university doesn't work out for you, you can always go get it. Go to the trades. Kind of like it was always kind of seen like, oh, I didn't get into university. I'm going to go to polytechnic school. Now, that's not how anybody thinks. Right? Nobody thinks that way anymore. It's just not the way it is. You should probably go there for. You should go to the trades first. That's where the money is, right? Hundred <laughs> percent. A ton of opportunity. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I don't think you try to talk anybody less into or out of the trades or university or going straight into the workforce or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's what's right for you. What what brings you joy? What motivates you? Where do you see yourself making a contribution? Sort of idea. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm not the expert. Don't take career advice from me, but. <laughs> I think about this kind of stuff. And John, when I am thinking about, you know, reinventing myself, you know where I go? I go to AthabascaU.ca because they're Canada's open university with world-class accredited online programs and courses offering the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. Who cares where the guy you know is going to school? Who cares what your parents did? Do what's right for you. Check out AthabascaU.ca. Oh, and by, hey, by the way, if, if you're mom or dad, who cares what your kid's doing? Why not kickstart your post-secondary experience? You know, Athabasca's got such a diverse student population because so many people have found a fit with that flexible schedule. AthabascaU.ca is where you can learn more about the admissions process. Covenant Foundation Lottery Cutoff is coming up November 3rd. You've got, seriously, less than a week. You've got less than a week to qualify to win that stunning dream home 2.2 million dollars but you know that's not it a 50 50 where somebody's gonna take more than a half a million bucks an alfa romeo a bmw a lexus luxury vacations to scotland new york turk and caicos pei john ever been to pei Prince Edward Island? Yeah. No, the other PEI. <laughs> I would love to go, and someone's going to when they win that trip at CovenantFoundationLottery.ca. People aren't going to believe we don't rehearse these fantastic back and forths. <laughs> Get your tickets at one 944 2774 or check out CovenantFoundationLottery.ca today. Been to Newfoundland, not and, uh, PEI. Would you, have, you have a good time in Newfoundland? Amazing. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. East I Coast to, is I incredible. To, what, what am I even doing? 
I need to get out to the Maritimes. Yeah. 100%. Probably the most underrated. Well, whatever. Everyone in Canada feels like their area is most underrated, don't we? Uh, and finally, before we get to Professor Young, I wanted to mention this really quickly. Our friends at Park Power, I, I want to direct you to their social media accounts. In particular, their Twitter account. Look for Park Power on Twitter because... They're retweeting research from Blake Schaefer at the University of Calgary that's providing great insights into whether or not you want to be on the fixed rate or the variable rate for your electricity and natural gas heading into the winter. You want to like straight up save money? Follow Park Power on social media. They're on Instagram as well and visit them online at parkpower.ca. 2022-RealTalk is the promo code that's going to knock 70 bucks off your first bill from Park Power. Uh, Dr. Lisa Young is uh, a professor of political science at the University of Calgary. She writes about Alberta politics on her wildly popular Substack. You can check that out at lisayoung.substack.com. Dr. Young making her return to the show. It's nice to see your face again. Thanks for making time for us. Happy to be here. Oh, we always like to when when, uh, someone's uh, background immediately makes an impression on us. I know that the audience watching on YouTube is going to be curious, and so am I. Uh, What can you tell? You've got some some stunning, it looks like almost stormscapes behind you. Well, yeah, and I'm going to be really embarrassed because I can't remember the last name of the artist, but I follow him on Twitter. That's where I found him, and it's at Jay is Painting. Okay, wonderful. He's based in Edmonton and does beautiful work. Yeah, Jay Bigham is who you're talking about. There we go. You've yeah. got some of his stuff too, right? I, I used to, your, and you yeah. know what? I, I saw Jay. His work stopped me in my tracks. It was at, uh, this is a local reference, but for our Edmonton audience, the Strathern Art Walk. Um, I'm not sure if you've been there, but it's like right on Strathern Drive. It overlooks, it's just south of the river, overlooking downtown. And I would guess they've got off the top of my head i'm going to say 150 artists there something like that intense and they've got of course they've got a beer garden and, and food trucks and it, just amazing and, and his his paintings just stopped me in my tracks when i saw them so uh, dr young growing up uh in school like w- whatever you know here comes the question uh did you have when, when we talk about favorite teachers or, or teachers that really made an impact or helped you sort of like shape the course of your career so to speak was there one that jumps out Well, I'm going to give you two answers. So in high school, I was a band nerd. And so Mr. Laycock, the band teacher, made the band room home for the band nerds. And so that gave me, you know, a place to be in high school. And, you know, even now, decades later, I I still uh, play once a week uh, in Foothills Concert Band here in Calgary. You know, I'm still doing it, right? Wow. So that's answer one. What instrument do you play? I play the trumpet. Nice. Yeah. But the second answer, and this is going to be really hokey, but I went to a high school where my mom was an English teacher. And you would think that that would be a complete nightmare, right? Um, But she, and I never had her as a teacher, but she was the coach of the debating team. So I'm really outing myself as a nerd now because band nerd and debate team. And I would say, you know, of the things that I learned in high school that have stuck with me that are helping me to this day, probably debate. So it would be Mrs. Young, my mom. That is so great. Uh, first of all, I think that every kid needs to be in band and debate, uh, right? I mean, uh, we're, you know, with our little guy, we're, Wyatt, he's, we're fostering this love of music. And I'm just trying to say to him, and, and it's I, we don't really need to say anything because he's catching that bug. But but like there's so many reasons why understanding music as a young person can help you growing up. And then the ability like to debate, to f- to form and shape ideas. I, I even like the idea, and sometimes maybe talk hosts get put in this position of being assigned a position to take right and then argue it 
And, you know, we talk a lot about how people get caught now in their social media bubbles, right? Mm. And you only read things from people who you agree with. And I think we lose something that way because you've got to be able to make the argument against your side, mm. right? You need to understand what other people are thinking and see if maybe they have a point, right? It can shape your ideas and, and maybe move you a little out of your bubble sometimes. Oh, man, I'm going to give myself a concussion. I'm nodding so strongly <laughs> with what you're saying. I believe that to be true. And, and I think that we've just found our segue uh, to dive into talk about Alberta politics, haven't we? Um, oh, congratulations, okay. <laughs> by the way, on, on your sub stack. I mean, every time you put something out there, everybody's buzzing about it. That's got to be exciting. That's uh, relatively speaking, kind of a new thing these days. It's kind of a new thing. I'm I'm currently on research leave, so I'm not teaching. I've got a little extra time. And uh, Alberta politics is just so interesting. So I, I started this kind of on a whim. And I got to say, I'm having so much fun with it. Well, right? that's great. It's, You're doing uh, a great job. Yeah. <laughs> um, people can check out lisayoung.substack.com. Let's jump into it. Uh, the one that prompted, I mean, obviously, you're always welcome on the show and we love talking to you, but 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 you were all over our radar yesterday with your, your amusing and insightful post, Bowling with Danielle. And you, you opened by saying, when my kids were little, I used to love taking them to the bowling alley because it was totally legit to ask for the bumpers on our lane. Uh, Lisa, can you take us into this column? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not a great bowler, right? And I'm not going to get any better. Um, but my my uh, my my uh, connection there was to Danielle Smith, who right now I think probably isn't that great at governing. Now she's got room to grow, right? She's new to this. She's never been in cabinet, and now all of a sudden she's premier, and we can see her making some beginner stumbles along the way, right? And she's also gone out of her way to say that she's going to do these grand things. She's going to pass a sovereignty act that's going to be, you know, exempt Alberta from federal laws, which we know is unconstitutional. She is going to, you know, fire all the deputy ministers that were uh, appointed uh, under the Notley government, these sorts of things. But then what she's actually doing is much more moderate. So I've been trying to figure out what's going on here. And what I've come up with is the idea that right now, you know, she's bowling. She's maybe not that good at it yet, but the bumpers are up. They're keeping her from really having any disasters. So what are the bumpers? The, the first bumper is the professional apolitical, not political, public service, right? The, the deputy ministers and, and the other public servants whose job it is to help her deliver on her platform, but keep her inside the, the law and the norms of politics. So that's the bumper on one side. Can I can I jump in quickly to point okay, out that, sure that well just yeah. just to make one point because I want to I want to clarify in many circumstances these will be senior public servants that have worked under different governments including previous manifestations of the conservative government and potentially Rachel Notley's NDP right these are people that don't come in and come out when government changes Exactly. So if it, maybe it's helpful for the listeners to know you've got the cabinet minister who's appointed and they'll normally have a chief of staff who is a political person, right? Who's supposed to be their right hand, who helps them move forward on the mandate that the premier has given them, 
right? So, so there is the political side of the house, but there's also a deputy minister. And that's someone who's normally come up through the public service. They've worked in, you know, different jobs. They stay. Um, they might be shuffled from the Ministry of Health to the Ministry of Finance and so on to get more experience. But these are the folks that keep government running. They're the ones who uh, provide continuity and they normally last from government to government. Um, and, and it's a really important part of, of uh, our system of government, you know, in, in Canada, in the UK, where we, we took it from, right? And I think, and, and it's part of their job to offer what's called fearless advice to uh, politicians, right? To say, minister or premier, you want to do this, but we want you to be aware of some of the consequences of that, right? right? Um, it may not be constitutional. It might be hard to implement. Here's a different way you could think about achieving the same objective, right? That's fundamentally their job. What's the other bumper? Well, the other bumper is interesting because we don't normally think of it as being a bumper. And that is the UCP caucus. Mm. And typically, you know, we, we talk a lot about how powerful the prime minister or the premier is in our political system. They can expect the loyalty of their cabinet and their caucus. Um, you know, it's pretty rare to have a, a revolt of, of your caucus or, or your cabinet in, in Canada. But I think this is a particular set of circumstances here for Danielle Smith. Remember that she won on the sixth ballot. She got, what, 53% of the vote of, of members. And she didn't have very many people from the caucus that were supporting her. So caucus is not necessarily a friendly crowd for her. And, you know, here we can draw a comparison to Liz Truss in the UK, who also got elected by members without a lot of uh, support in the Conservative caucus. And she got in trouble really fast, right? Like really because fast. Really, really fast. Yeah. You know, like a head of lettuce. Uh, yeah. <laughs> fast. So, so. Smith, I think, has to be aware of that. And so we've seen the caucus reining her in. And, you know, the very first time the caucus met with her, at the end of that caucus meeting, all of a sudden she's talking about how she has no intention of the Sovereignty Act actually overturning a Supreme Court ruling or, or being outside the rule of law, which is a real change in tune for her. Huge. So clearly something is happening there and caucus and maybe cabinet down the road is going to rein her in a little bit, at least for a while. There's uh, is is there an example? I mean, I hesitate to make this compare. I don't want to compare this too closely because you know Allison Redford, you know, had had her her, her incidents in office that I think you know shaped a lot of the, the public opinion that hurt her, and then of course that that caucus revolt as well that led to her resignation. But but is 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 that sort of uh, maybe a, a a warning case study a little bit closer to home in Alberta of, of how quickly a premier can lose support? Redford was was relatively new to the party as well, relatively speaking when she became premier. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, Redford's another interesting example because she was elected uh, as, as party leader, again, without a lot of support from the caucus. 
And she was seen ideologically as being out of line with where the caucus was. Yeah. She was more to the center uh, than uh, the, the caucus was, whereas Daniel Smith, I think, is probably further to the right or a version of the right um, than uh, uh, much of the caucus is. So there's similarities there. Now, what's interesting is that Redford didn't get in trouble necessarily because of uh, her policy stances, but because uh, she was aloof, she never really engaged with caucus, she didn't bring them on side, I think, uh, in, in some respects. And then she got in trouble with um, some out-of-touch spending um, uh, uh, with government funds as well, use of the government plane and so on. It was really out of touch with the sort of populist ethos of of Alberta politics. So it's it's a little bit different, but it does show us that caucus under some circumstances really can be a constraint. Uh, Leela here announcing yesterday that that uh, she, she will not seek re-election. Most recently, she was a, a candidate for the leadership of the party. Of course, she served as a, a minister before under uh, Jason Kennedy until she lost her post when she was critical of Alberta's uh, former premier. She's she's faced a bit of a coup within her own riding association. Um, Leela is a, a very likable politician, longtime politician in Alberta with both the Wild Rose Party, the, the, you know, the, the conservative party, the current manifestation. And now we'll see what what she moves to do next some are suggesting that, that maybe this wasn't a huge surprise based on on the rumblings and what had been happening in in uh, in Strathmore area and Chestermere as well but what do you what do you read into this this announcement from Leela here she wasn't named to cabinet under Danielle Smith I think off the top of my head she was probably one of the only leadership candidate she, right Taves is in Schultz is in one. like yeah. the only one Sonny's in yeah. Lowen's yeah. in right yeah everyone else is in everyone else yeah. And so so there's that. And I think she was facing a very difficult nomination um, yeah. contest in, in her uh, riding. So I think she's decided simply to walk away from that fight that she's not going to win it. She did leave the door open, though, um, it, not to running for the UCP. But, it, you know, she said she wouldn't run again for the UCP. So there's some speculation. You know, would she would she run for as an independent? Would she run for the NDP? I mean, she certainly was seen as being being a little out of line ideologically with the rest of the party. She talked a lot about the need for compassion and inclusion. She was a real critic of of Kenny and and the Kenny government on that front. Yeah. I've saw, I've seen some people do a real turnaround in uh, in in how they perceive Leela here. I think that, that there were some associations with former Wild Rosers and maybe this might hurt some of my more conservative friends to hear this, but people just sort of perceived them as sort of like the cold hard right and uh leela showed a different side of her over the past couple of years um and ultimately i, th I, I in a weird way like you just identified i think i think tragically politically it hurt her inside the ucp absolutely yeah. you know um yeah. she she criticized Kenny um, while she was in cabinet and was thrown out of cabinet. And then, you know, there, I think there was a fair bit of party support, I, I hear, um, for the person who is uh, running, you know, to, to be the candidate in her yeah. uh, electoral district. Yeah. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of there was a lot of tolerance in the Kenny government for criticism from further right. But there wasn't tolerance of criticism from more moderate folks. Yeah. Uh, 
Alberta's Premier Danielle Smith has been criticized by some. I mean, she's she's just obviously named her cabinet. And uh, uh, to say there's not exactly gender parity might be an understatement. Uh, the, the representation there has been the focus of, of some who argue that that uh, with with fewer than one in five cabinet ministers, uh, women, that there's some work to do here. The premier was asked about it. And here's what Danielle Smith had to say about it this week. I'm a woman. I've got four senior cabinet ministers who are women. If people think that there's any danger that women are not going to be represented, then I would ask that they that that they just look at the at the composition that we have. You look at the composition we have, she says. What's your response? You know, I, I think this notion that um, in, in an era when we increasingly see gender equal cabinets, right? And and I'm not suggesting that this was likely to to be seen in Alberta, you know, particularly given the the UCP's, you know, the, the number of women that they've got in their caucus, um, to reduce the number of women when you've got a female premier, you know, really, I think, sends a message that, you know, she thinks she got there on her own initiative, and women don't need any kind of a hand up. And, you know, who's important? Uh, well, rural men um you know that's huh. who got into her cabinet that's who you know it, it, there's a lot of continuity there but the new faces are for the most part rural men and i guess that's who she's trying to appeal to um i suspect that this is a, a real political error though um yeah. she needs to make a breakthrough of support into suburban calgary at least and uh women are quite skeptical of the ucp i think we've seen that in polling over the the last few years um i think smith has a chance to com connect with them but she sure sends a a message in saying that no you know the the people who i brought into my cabinet are almost entirely men hmm. Yeah, I, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? We've had this conversation. We we had the strategists on a, a couple of Friday roundtables ago, and and uh, they were getting into this a little bit about about the um, the early notes. It was in particular that reporting from Rick Bell, that column where where he sat down with with Danielle Smith, who who had uh, appeared to sort of like spill her guts to Rick about what their plan, their their sort of the whole premise of their entire campaign, and like who they were. It was like she showed him the playbook, kind of. Um, and, and so he lays it out like they don't need Edmonton or that, you know, they've basically written off Edmonton. Um, it'll be interesting to see Deputy Premier Casey Madu. Interesting appointment there, by the way, the one Edmonton riding that they've got currently. Um, and, and there's a strong NDP candidate, Nathan Ip off the top of my head. I think it is that's that's coming at that seat. Um, but Daniel Smith essentially said to Rick Bell, my words, not hers, that if we can sweep the rural areas, we don't need to win Calgary. Like we need to win like five seats in Calgary. And you wonder, you know, senior cabinet. I think of like someone like uh, Tyler Shandro or I mean, Rick McIver out of cabinet. Isn't that interesting? But but there's a lot of prominent conservatives down in Calgary that you have to assume would be going. Uh, we're not sure that this is the most astute approach uh, to winning government in May of 2023. Absolutely. And, you know, it's one thing for strategists to, be, you know, say that this is the, the plan for the premier to say this, that it's OK to govern with representation only from rural areas and a little bit of Calgary really leaves you wondering, you know, who is she governing for? What's her intention? Is is the intention here to have a, a rural government for this very urban, very diverse province? 
Let me ask you this, uh, Professor Lisa Young, our guest, if you're just tuning in on the Mixler live streaming audio app, uh, Premier Smith criticized for attending an event in Brooks Medicine Hat. Of course, that's where she's going to be running uh, in this by-election against Barrymore Ishida of note, um, the former Brooks mayor and former president of the uh, Alberta municipalities. Now, of course, the leader of the Alberta party. That's an interesting race to watch, plus an NDP candidate. And we expect, we hope to speak with all three of them through this by-election. Here's the point. Uh, She attended a grand opening event for the Medicine Hat College's new co-op wellness commons. And critics of hers are saying that this violates the Elections Act. Uh, And if it doesn't technically violate the Elections Act, they're saying it violates the spirit of the act. That was MLA David Egan that said that just a couple of days ago. And then, of course, there's the background when you remember Gordon Dirks was running for the conservatives down in Calgary, and he authorized some modular classrooms in Calgary elbow, uh, the writing where he was a by-election candidate. And uh, Daniel Smith was quite critical of that many moons ago. Um, was this the wrong move for her? She says, I was just attending as Alberta's premier. I wasn't campaigning. I, I wouldn't say necessarily that it violates the Elections Act. I haven't looked at it carefully enough to to really have an opinion about that but i i do think that the, the appearance certainly is that you know she's using her role as premier um but also as a candidate in this by-election to take credit for government spending right to to stand there and and remind folks in medicine hat about uh, you know, government investments. So I think it would have been more prudent not to have attended that, um, to have asked, you know, maybe for this to be postponed until after the by-election. Um, and, you know, I think on this and on a number of other things, she's going to face some issues because during her time as leader of the Wild Rose Party, she was very critical on a, uh, you know, on a number of fronts, as you would expect an opposition leader to be. And she has to remember now to be consistent with those statements that she made. Yeah, no kidding. Hey, let me ask you real quick, Lisa, what do you what do you what do you make of, of the premier's uh, early support? I mean, I, I got to be careful how I use the support. But this letter about Calgary's arena, what, this is a lot of people are going, hang on a second. What's this all about? So, you know, I've got my personal theory about this, and it's just a theory, but I suspect that she spent a little bit of time with one or more of the the Flames owners yeah. who complained about the outcome of the last Calgary municipal election, right? Because she she then went and talked to Rick Bell about how we need political parties in, in municipal politics. Yeah. Um, and they probably said as well, you know, and it's so frustrating. We can't get a deal going with with the city on on putting this back together. And so, you know, Smith went back to the office and, you know, told her staff, I suspect, you know, write a letter, tell the city council they've got to do this. Right. Um, and uh, it, this is being interpreted as you know, a, a plan to win Calgary support, which I think it, it might well be, but also that it signals an intention to uh, invest money in this. And I'm not sure that's the case. I'm not sure this is carefully enough thought through. And again, there are comments from Danielle Smith, Wild Rose leader, about the Edmonton arena saying that, you know, public money shouldn't be used for this. So she's she's going to face that kind of a criticism. So this may be nothing other than the premier trying to push city council into something and 
you know, giving Rick McIver a, a bit of a job to, yeah. you know, go and talk to his former colleagues on city council and get him moving in the right direction, in her view. Yeah, McIver, a former mayoral candidate, of course, and uh, when, when they used to call him Alderman, a former Alderman, right? Yeah, way yeah. back in the day. Yeah, I have, I've, I've got many thoughts on that. Murray Edwards, the owner of the Flames, uh, obviously closely tied to Alberta Enterprise Group, where Danielle Smith was president after she left radio. Uh, which is an interesting angle on this. Of course, there's the fiscal conservative angle, which would uh, sort of uh, decimate any appetite, you might think, for public investment in this arena. I would point to not take us too far into the weeds that the Edmonton arena deal wound up looking phenomenal uh, for the city of Edmonton. It worked out well, but uh, I I digress. I I do admit and acknowledge that Calgary does need a new arena, Um, like with regards to the state of major cities, including in Canada, of a million people, Calgary's arena just doesn't stack up. But then again, I also think it's nuts, Lisa, that we knock down buildings after 35, 40 years, just calling them garbage. And they cost you know a couple hundred back in the day or now $600 million to build. It's pretty wild how we work as a society, isn't it? It is. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Keep up the amazing work. I want everybody right now to go check out your sub stack. You're doing such a great job. Uh, what now? An Alberta politics newsletter. And you can find it at lisayoung.substack.com. Doctor, thanks for your time. My pleasure. You got it. That's Professor Lisa Young out of the University of Calgary. In just a second, Tom Vernon, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I believe that this is Tom's first interview since he left Global News, uh, which is great. We appreciate his availability, uh, but wanted to give you a heads up, the Real Talkers, that coming up on Friday, it's going to be our Real Talk Roundtable presented by Urban Timber. Now, every day we're sitting around this table, at least I am right now, that was put together. Uh, we had this idea And then we handed this idea over to our friends at Urban Timber. And to say that they delivered would be an understatement. Uh, You can see our table if you watch the show on YouTube. Uh, And I'm going to be posting it on social media as well. I'm so proud of how this thing turned out. They did such a beautiful job. It's white oak. Uh, with epoxy filled in to allow the light to shine through the table. It is stunning. And then underneath these hand-cranked gears to raise and lower the table. That was our vision. They delivered. They can do the same for you. Go to urbantimber.ca today uh, to check out their brand new showroom. Absolutely stunning. They're booking from now until the end of the month for guaranteed delivery by Christmas. You want your family Christmas dinner to be around a brand new breathtaking table today's a great time to visit the new showroom at urban timber they're open from uh 10 to 4 on the weekends you can go see them online as well at urbantimber.ca at local environmental services if you're in alberta and saskatchewan they want you to know that you deserve better when it comes to waste and recycling management when it comes to dealing with the corporate partner that's handling this important detail communities deserve better they say service prices support for local causes whether it's more permanent or temporary bins you're looking for residential or commercial industrial services they do it all water hauling fencing vacuum truck services and of course they present trash talk every friday here on real talk you can get your quote today from mikkel chris lauren and the team at localenvironmental.ca And a shout out as well to our friends at Eden Landscaping. LandscapeEdmonton.ca is where you go to check out their portfolio for more than 20 years. Mike and his team, still family owned, by the way, have been bringing outdoor spaces to life. It takes planning. It takes thought and consideration. They don't put shovels in the ground until you are thrilled with the design. That's why winter is a great time to 
get in touch with them and start talking ideas. Let their design team start working. Let them order the permits. Let them order the construction materials. So when the ground thaws in April, Eden Landscaping set to go. Their website again, landscapeedmonton.ca. For the last 20 years, Tom Vernon has been working in radio and TV, including the last nine, almost a full decade, covering the Alberta legislature for Global News. We were colleagues for six of those years, and it has always been a pleasure to chat with him. Tom is now a strategic communications consultant with Crestview Strategy, a full-service public affairs agency. And I believe, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this is your first interview since you left Global News. Are we correct on that? That's correct. This yeah, is a big deal. This is a big deal because you and I would talk back in the day. You're 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 the uh, reputable, um, objective uh, reporter, sticking just to the facts, bringing your brand of journalism to the people. And I and I was charged with with putting a burr under people's saddles and and, and lighting their ideas on fire. And and you would always make yourself available for the talk show, but you would say, "Remember, uh, you can't ask me opinion questions." But I think I'm allowed to now, right? You're going to find I'm... Uh, I am who I am, Ryan. I've been doing it for 20 years. I'm not just going to flip a switch. You want to ask me a lot about Star Wars and Star Trek. I have a lot of opinions on that. But yes, I can absolutely... We'll delve into politics as well. Yeah. Hey, we, we, I was kind of joking about this earlier in the show, but actually I am serious about it. Do you have to register as a lobbyist now? Are you officially a lobbyist? No, I'm not on the lobby side. I'm on the uh, strategic communications side. So I'm working on communications plans and, and speaking with clients on how to best get their stories out into the public. Amazing. Well, you, you've had a great understanding of how to do that for 20 years. So what a coup for Crestview. So congratulations uh, to them there. Are you, you think you can have a tough time stepping out of the journalism side? This is this is something that I, I know a guy like you, like when we would work election nights, it was like you were just almost vibrating. Like you love that stuff. <laughs> It was great to have the UCP leadership in my last couple of weeks and and for it to go long and for us to have to fill two, three hours, I can't remember what it was, of television, just to stand there and talk about what's going on because, yeah, th those are the most fun nights. You remember those, right, where you're you're live all night, you're speaking about what's happening, you don't know what's going to happen, and just to fill the time. So I, I will miss that, but get to stretch my legs other ways, uh, speaking with people about their stories, and, and I'll still get to do some writing and hopefully get to do more stuff like this to to scratch that itch as well. Yeah, cool. Well, well, you're on our short list for political panelists now, which is awesome to have you here, Tom. Uh, we haven't been able to speak for the last couple of years on air, so it's nice to be able to connect again. Let me ask you, generally speaking, before we get into some of the specific stories that are making news, today is a is an Alberta politics-themed edition of, of Real Talk. Uh, Daniel Smith uh, gave us her first interview here before swearing in as premier. That was not too long ago, uh, less than a month ago, just, just a few weeks. Um, and I'm curious to know for your initial impressions on the stamp that she's putting on this party, uh, what the early tenure looks like with Danielle Smith as, as premier, and maybe some of the key storylines that you're keeping an eye on. The campaigning has begun already, though the writ has not yet dropped for next May. Yeah, and it's uh, so I was at her first speech after being elected, and that was at the uh, Edmonton Chamber of Commerce, who was giving a, a business audience a, a view of how she plans to move forward on things. And and what was really interesting is this was after the comments about Ukraine had come forward. This was after the comments about the the vaccinations, and the uh, president of the Edmonton Chamber asked her, "So how are things going? How's the first week?" And she goes, "Bumpy." So she has that sense of humor, right? She's always been that strong communicator, former radio host, right? That uh, they they're able to communicate on that. And then she came forward with her cabinet. And and look, her entire campaign was speaking about change and we're going to change how we deal with Ottawa. We're going to change how Alberta Health Services manages things. And so we were expecting a huge swath of change in cabinet. And I found it really interesting where there were a lot of familiar faces and a lot of 
familiar places. So while she's talking about big change on the policy front, really we're seeing a lot of stability, a lot of continuity when it comes to people around her table. Obviously some new people in and, and some big portfolios and, and a shuffle in that, but I found that really interesting in the, I want to say stability on on the cabinet front mm-hmm. on, on that side. Mm-hmm. I was just talking to Professor uh, Lisa Young from University of Calgary, who you know well, about the, uh, the letter from uh, Premier Smith, uh, essentially to, to Calgary's mayor, right? To Calgary's council. And they want to see a, a deal get done to build an arena. And uh, if, if you actually read the letter, and it's two pages, I'm not going to read it all right now. People can easily find it online. It, it Nowhere does it make any uh, promise of any funding from the province. Uh, it would obviously be extremely premature for that. If were there to be funding from the province, I think probably the capital city uh, might be collectively outraged. Uh, but but take us into your thoughts on this. Were you surprised to see the letter? It's, it's no surprise. Uh, it's one of the most obvious uh, realities in the National Hockey League that the Calgary Flames need a new arena. There's been a lot of talk about it, and the arena deal died um, shortly after this council turned over last municipal election. But what do you make of the letter from Premier Smith? So, I mean, I was surprised when I saw it come forward because we hadn't seen any uh, talk from the provincial government from Danielle Smith on this up until this point. But look, what's the battleground? I mean, Lisa Young talked about a hard act to follow, which she said it right when uh, when Premier Smith uh, spoke to Rick Bell and talked about you know getting strong uh, representation in rural Alberta and then getting some seats in Calgary. But we know Calgary is going to be the battleground in the next provincial election. I mean, that was the the legislature reporter reporting out of Edmonton from the legislature, and it seemed about ninety five percent of the media veils from uh, the NDP and as well as from the government were taking place in Calgary. So we all know where the battleground is going to be in the spring of twenty twenty three. So. Look, we don't know if there's going to be any money going towards the arena project or, or anything like that. It's too soon to say. But to put on a Rick McIver, who an interesting exclusion from cabinet, but still a very a high profile cabinet minister, former cabinet minister, MLA and Calgarian, to put him on that file shows look a commitment from the UCP that they are going to be involved in these conversations and involved in Calgary politics, involved in getting votes inside Calgary, because that's that's the main battleground. So didn't surprise me that there was a big Calgary announcement this early on arena. That's going to be an interesting look. We went through it here in Edmonton, right? We know it's going to be an interesting conversation, but yeah. And and, when, when Edmonton went through it, I mean, went through, it's a dramatic way to put it. I mean, but it's, Mm -hmm. this is, this is the stuff that hits home, right? Because, you know, sports fans, uh, their allegiance to these teams and the threat of losing the team, the threat of the team moving uh, sort of hits people in this strange way where they might become more emotional or more supportive of, or, or quite frankly, on the flip side, more inclined to, 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 uh, to dismiss or fight against something that otherwise would be considered to be another infrastructure project. People don't typically get all, I mean, some people do, but not everybody gets all worked up about, you know, expansions of the freeway or widening the, you know, the thoroughfares and things like that. Um, Equal amounts of money in a lot of cases, public transit, maybe people get a little bit more fired up about, but when you start invoking sports franchises and entertainment districts, that's when people really get passionate about it to state the obvious. And it's a double-edged sword, right? Like, you know, I don't think there's anybody in Edmonton really unhappy about the new arena, but look, you know, the Cates did not get many fans throughout that whole process. City council was really getting criticized throughout that process. So, I mean, this is a lot of money on the line and and these deals can be tricky and and they don't always uh, win the court of public opinion in the early part and in the construction part, because it's a lot of money being spent, but after everything is in the ground and after everything's done, you know, like you mentioned while you're talking with uh, Dr. Young about the, how the, the deal here in Edmonton has worked out so well for the city. But like I said, it, it's interesting that she's getting involved in that conversation and, and trying to feel appear to be fighting for Calgary and fighting for a, uh, a big project. But 
these are deals that uh, can sometimes uh, cause a bit of political trouble for people. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Tom, let me ask you about uh, what's going on here down in Brooks Medicine Hat. This is about to be a by-election that'll that'll have more. Uh, it's going to have more attention on it than than your standard or typical by-election, right? You, you'll have the, the premier uh, who will be the UCP candidate in that riding. Of course, Danielle Smith. You've got the former mayor of Brooks. Uh, former president of at that time, it was called the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association, now known as Alberta Municipalities, uh, now the leader of the Alberta Party. So you got two party leaders running against each other, Barry Morishita and then Gwendolyn Dirk, the candidate for the NDP, who's who's no slouch herself. And uh, you know that they're looking at that riding as, as an opportunity to make a, a strong statement there. An NDP win in Brooks Medicine Hat would be unbelievably huge uh, for that party. Um, what do you think of in particular? And I'll get your general comments on it. But but Barry Morishita, you have to assume the former mayor would have a fighting chance of actually winning this by-election what do you think you know it, i think you have to think when daniel smith when it was announced that she was going to run there he had to think to himself oh great because it, it was going to be a very difficult battle now he's the mayor of brooks he's won elections in brooks um obviously the, the riding is is bigger than that now the alberta party has a has a tough tough hill to climb here right uh, last election they were held out of the the legislature their their vote share they did find in the vote share but once you're out of the legislature you're kind of out of the conversation so like i have, I have a lot of time for barry morishita I, I dealt with him a lot when he was the head of what was then called the uh, auma extremely well-spoken politician extremely well-spoken leader um but to go up against the premier look that's that's not easy so I'm not sure how it's going to play out. Danielle Smith is obviously a, a strong name. This is a, a rural riding where she has seen a big base of support. It's it's a currently or previously UCP held riding. What I really find interesting about uh, by-election races is you speak to all the candidates and they all have to say, oh, we're very confident. We, we think we hear it at the doors. We're going to win this. And then you get to by-election day and the one you think is going to win ended up winning anyway. So you're right, this is a very interesting one with Barry Morishita, a long history in that area, a party leader, albeit of a party that has not been involved in the conversations against Danielle Smith. Now, nothing against the NDP candidate. Gwendolyn is a strong candidate for all, all we've been told. She's been getting some high level support there. Uh, Rachel Notley was there campaigning with her. We've seen a number of cabinet or former cabinet ministers and high profile NDP uh, MLA's cab, uh, campaigning down there. So we always run the risk of reading too much into by-elections, but this one, it's an interesting one. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, there's just a couple other stories that we're keeping an eye on that, that we that we can't ignore. And, and I'm just curious to know, um, generally speaking, uh, w- with regards to this cabinet makeup, uh, there were some prominent omissions. Uh, I think in particular, pretty interesting that Rick McIver was was omitted from cabinet. Brian Jean uh, with, a, with a significant cabinet post uh tyler shandro retains a significant cabinet post you've got casey madu as one of two deputy premiers which i think says something about about how the 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 premier views him and and potentially the importance of that south edmonton seat um maybe a few quick points of of what you noted as that cabinet announcement was made yeah on the omissions i mean the rick mcciver one really surprised me uh he was not out there really vocal in the uh, during the leadership race he wasn't really vocal about criticizing any of the uh, Danielle Smith's policies. So when he was excluded, that was that was an interesting point. Um, and what was really interesting is uh, the day cabinet was announced on the Friday before it was sworn in, he, he took to Twitter, I'm planning on running again, FYI. So it's not like he appears to be retiring. Jason Nixon omitted 
not surprising, but um, I mean, he was he was a senior cabinet minister, uh, but also very critical and very closely tied to Jason Kenney. So I guess not surprising there. Uh, yeah, the the Casey Madu and Nathan Newdorf were both uh, very public supporters of, of Daniel Smith during the campaign. Not surprising that to to see that they got high profile posts. Two deputy premiers, though, so uh, obviously uh, uh, very senior positions in the cabinet, and will be uh, will have the ear of uh, Daniel Smith, but also the appearance that look Daniel Smith is sending out these uh, two leaders, one in the South, one in the Edmonton region, to be the the voice to her when it comes to the issues in these areas. Uh, and then, like I mentioned before, not a huge shuffle. Tyler Shandro, Jason Copping, Adriana Lagrange, yeah. um, Travis Taves in in their positions that they were in. But as Lisa Young mentioned, you know, rural men getting high positions. Uh, we have uh, Todd Lowen getting a senior cabinet position. We have the new uh, energy minister, Peter Guthrie. He's Airdrie Cochran. He's getting into Andrew. That That is a huge uh, portfolio. So moving into that portfolio uh, out into rural Alberta, moving uh, uh, Sonia Savage into environment. So some interesting repositioning here of some of the big ones and, and where she wants to get these the voices back to her and representation out to, but then the stability front, big changes coming at AHS, same health minister, uh, yeah. big changes coming when it comes to the sovereignty act, same justice minister. So some continuity on those files where she's promising big changes. I'm going to be curious to see, I mean, you, you say, uh, well, not you say you, you, you obviously point out big changes coming at, at Alberta health services because the premier has indicated that that's her plan and one of her top priorities. Um, I wonder if that might be something that I won't say she walks back, but you, you wonder the magnitude of that change to it. It would not be unprecedented to blow up or restructure that board. Other premiers have certainly done it, uh, but that is a major undertaking on the biggest portfolio that the province is responsible for and uh i mean changes at the very top obviously have huge implications that's one that i think everybody's going to be interested in you start messing with health and education it's going to get everybody's attention yeah and i mean she said at that chamber speech in edmonton that like it, it could be bumpy at times it, there could be some uh, some tough moments when it comes to this transition at alberta health services but she says look stick with us and and, and she's she says she's going to to make those changes what's interesting is she's doing it seven months we're coming up on six months ahead of the next election so if she wants to make these changes uh, she's promised within 90 days uh and look it, it, it's a big ship it's not a quick one to turn what will the state of these this transition be when it comes to the writ being dropped at the start of may and how will that conversation be be held in the uh, public opinion she's going to need to get results very fast on that front and positive results uh things moving in the healthcare system very quickly uh, so that'll be an interesting conversation over the next seven months tom it's so good to have you on the show uh congratulations on your new opportunity and uh, a kudos to crestview strategy what a hire for them uh, we'll look forward to bringing you back great insight on alberta politics and beyond thanks for doing the show thank you for having me yeah you got it that's tom vernon uh you can follow him on twitter now at tom vernon ab he's changed his twitter handle of course no longer with that big corporate media giant that conversation is presented by our good friends at friesen brothers who want to remind you about oktoberfest it's coming up this weekend october 29th and 30th a german inspired all-you-can-eat dinner including alberta beef rouladen chicken fricassee German potato dumplings. Johnny, I YouTubed how to pronounce chicken fricassee. I thought it was fricassee. It's chicken <laughs> fricassee. Yeah, German potato dumplings, sauerkraut, German rye sourdough buns, the full salad bar. It's just 25 bucks a person. 
These are prepared by Red Seal chefs, all at Friesen Brothers Fresh Market stores. That's October 29th and 30th from 4 to 8 p.m. Uh, you can find out more information at Friesen.com slash Oktoberfest. All right. Our friends at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge want to remind you that, well, the snow is about to fall. Road conditions are about to get gnarly. Maybe not tomorrow or the next day, but soon. And you're going to be kicking yourself if you didn't take the time to check out the brand new Jeep Grand Cherokee. It's North America's best-selling SUV in history for a reason. And you'll find Alberta's best selection of Jeep, Dodge, of course, including that Ram pickup that everybody loves, including me at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. At the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, you will find the Fall Blizzard lineup. The star of the show is the Pumpkin Pie Blizzard. But if you're pumpkined out right now, the Cinnamon Roll Center Blizzard is my personal recommendation. At the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Baseline Road, don't forget when you're there, pick up a box of dairy-free dilly bars to stuff the freezer. Oh, my favorite. The Dairy-Free Dilly Bar at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And our friends at Apex Automation want to let you know if you're a professional engineer that is feeling uninspired, underappreciated, you're in a current job that, quite frankly, you loathe, wouldn't it be great to be surrounded by people that give a rip about like you and your family, you being home with your family at night, new opportunities, giving people back their time, not to mention some of Canada's top innovative professionals when it comes to things like industrial control systems engineering and software development they're providing solutions for any industrial process any industrial like upstream oil extraction pipelines natural gas processing chemical manufacturing potash mining robotics brewing you can find them online at apexautomation.ca make a career move to a team you actually want to work for at apex automation all right, tomorrow's show is going to be a good one. We wrap up our week uh, with Sapria Devetti back from a week off the air. Why? Because well, she, she's quite frankly, uh, well, she, she was working with her team in the prime minister's office, literally. Sapria was literally talking to the prime minister. We're going to ask her how that went. And, and then, of course, the political stories of the day that matter. And then ahead of COP27, a Real Talk Roundtable presented by Urban Timber with some of the top environment and industry voices in the country on Friday's Real Talk. We'll see you then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com. 